What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Sports Psych MD's podcast, episode number five. What makes an athlete unique? Today, Armin and I, the SPMDs, are really talking about the pressures that these college and professional athletes face on a day-to-day basis playing the game they love. Oftentimes in front of hundreds of thousands of screaming fans, they're facing risk for injury, risk for getting their spot taken, needing to provide for their family. And I think we forget a lot of these guys and gals, they're coming from all over the globe, all over the country, different backgrounds, and they're put on this pedestal, they're put on this grand stage, and kind of put in this box expected to perform at a moment's notice. So anyways, let's get into it. I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> what's going on, y'all? We're back. We are back. The Sports Psych MDs, y'all. Sports Psych MDs. I'm Armin. And I'm Tori. And we are the Sports Psych. Come on. Let's, let's not play around. They should we're know us by now. Play, we're not here to play games. Today we're talking about... Yeah, you, yeah, you, know who, you know who I... You know my name. You know who I is, who I, who I be. If they don't know, now they know. So, Armin, what makes an athlete unique? Yes, sir. What makes an athlete special? That's an important question. Well, it's a great question, and it's something that does pervade the minds of psychiatrists like us. We're very curious about... We, we're curious to know why, what makes the athlete tick. What makes them perhaps an underserved community, right? What makes them perhaps an underrepresented community when it comes to mental health? And that's something that uh, it's a subject that maybe people haven't really thought about before. Are you trying to say that these privileged athletes that we see on the big screen yeah. are underrepresented? And That's what I'm saying. And, you know, so here's the thing, right? Obviously, these fools, well, the professional athletes at least, and, you know, let's say the collegiate athletes as well. I mean, access is not the problem. I mean, pros have, you know, plenty of money. I'm sure they have great health insurance. And I've been a student before at, in college. Like, we have health insurance. You know, we can, we can have a, a mental health professional if, if we need to. But with athletes, it's something that is often, it's kind of a shaky issue, just the whole notion of a mental health problem. Well, it's, yeah, it's a shaky issue with everyone. But if you're talking specifically about athletes, then it gets even more shaky. It does. It's, it's, very, it's, it's interesting, right? Athletes, I think whether they are the high school level, you know, the college level, certainly the professional level, they definitely, there's a mystique that comes with being an athlete. And I think it's because they have these, like, you know, what, what almost like seem to be supernatural powers, you know, in some cases. I mean, you know, the strength, the speed, things that they can do that regular guys and, and you know, gals just can't do. And I think for that reason, there's a tendency for us as you know, non-athletes and just captive audience to forget that, that they're people too. Yeah, you know? they're human. They're not they're, immune. They're, they're human and they have stress that they have to deal with. You know, they have personal lives, you know, things going on behind mm-hmm. the scenes you know, that affect them and, and they struggle. They struggle with things. Yeah, they struggle. I want to touch on before you get beans deep into this topic. They struggle with the same things we, we struggle with as, as non-professional athletes. But today we're going to talk about 
How does the relationship between the athletic competition, the sport, and mental illness and, and psychiatry kind of, how does that overlap? What are the risk factors specific to athletes, to professional athletes? We're going to spend a lot of time mm-hmm. talking about yep. professional athletes specifically because professional athletes are, I think, the ones that, obviously the ones that are most popular, they're on the big screen, but I think they fa- they have their own unique challenges, different from even college athletes and different from, obviously, us being former high school athletes, we know mm-hmm. the we know the pressures that you face are probably totally different than what people face when they're in the limelight in the, in the, on the big screen. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the variety of backgrounds that athletes come from. They come from all over the globe. If anybody's watched like an NBA game, you, you see that there's, there's people from all over the place. And um, let's see, what else are we going to talk about? I think uh, and at the end of the day, we're also going to touch on a little bit. Uh, athletes are employees, just like me and you. That's right. Um, so... There's that you have to throw in there. Mm-hmm. I, I guess let's go ahead and jump jump right in. Let's do and it. Orman, get us going. I, I'm sorry I had to slow you down there, but yeah, get us back into the, to the flow. Yeah, man. So um, when I think about like the, the problem that exists, whether it's a coach, whether it's a sports executive or sports leader, whether it's other players even, when the topic of a mental health-related issue comes up, Suddenly, that's synonymous with things like liability. That's synonymous with things like team distraction, mm-hmm. you know, or you know, personal distraction or, you know, just something. It's always kind of this negative connotation. So you're right? talking about uh, like the business level, the financial aspect of it, where people in the front office or coaches or general managers, when they hear anything that has to relate with, to emotional issues, substance abuse issues, mental health issues... Anything of that sort, maybe troubled childhoods, troubled pasts, they kind of shy away a little bit. Oh, yeah. Or red flags come up. Yeah, it's because the the thought behind that is that, okay, well, this is a troubled person. You know, they're going to be a problem in the locker room, you know, in team sports, or they're going to be distracted. They're not going to be committed, disciplined, and focused. You know, all these really, I think, very prejudicial and biased views that really are not consistent with what we understand as psychiatrists and mental health professionals treating these people. It's just not consistent with mental illness because mental illness is treatable, right? I mean, we're not talking about like a personality disorder or, you know, some sort of like... I mean, personality disorders are treatable as well. Some of them, to some extent. And you got to tease those out and you got to diagnose those as well. Right. But in terms of being disruptive, right, we're talking about, yes mental health challenges can change someone's attitude, change someone's disposition, you know, perhaps, you know, how they behave. But when treated effectively, those things can mostly be resolved. You know, and what, what I guess is difficult for me to reconcile is mental illness and physical injuries, they're both medical conditions. And they really, uh, I think, should both be treated in the same kind of way, right? A person goes down with a sprained ankle. They might be out for a week or two. Someone has, you know, a bad experience in their life. Let's say they lose a family member. Let's say they're going through relationship troubles, a divorce, you know, something like that. Or a two-week episode of major depression. Well, that's what I'm saying. And one of these types of, of experiences triggers, you know, a depressive episode. 
that person should get a couple weeks off to kind of recover and get themselves back in shape just like as if you know they, they, they were suffering from a physical yeah. injury. And you know, so that's what I mean. What makes athletes unique is that there is this expectation that they're just supposed to push through. You know what I mean? That these things, yes, they occur in, in their lives, but hey, the competition is too important. Yeah, the thing that makes it difficult is there's like a trigger or an incident that causes a physical injury. So everyone can witness when someone sprains their ankle or ruptures their Achilles like Durant did or um, has a broken bone, a fracture or a head injury. You you can witness this. You can see this whether it's on, on national television or in practice. There's an incident that causes it so people can really have more empathy for something. Yeah. And they're like, all right, you need the time off to heal your ankle sprain. And everyone, no one bats an eye. You need that. Oh, of course. And, but I mean, you know, listen, Kevin Durant, you know, as it turns out, he just tore his Achilles. I mean, that's one of the most devastating injuries in sports. And yet he was just signed to, what, a four-year deal with Brooklyn? Yeah. You know, a massive max contract. So, yeah, I mean, lot, lots... Lots of empathy. He's going to be out for a full year in that contract, and he joined Kyrie Irving, questionable decision. Um, but we won't get to, into that. But yeah. but essentially what we're trying to do is we want people to see mental health, mental issues in the same lens they see physical health issues. So if someone were to suffer a major depressive episode, which usually lasts a couple of weeks, even though there's no, sometimes there's no trigger to that, it just comes and goes as is, they will understand that this is just as serious as a physical injury, and maybe the person does need time off. Maybe with the right treatment, with the right therapy, maybe they can push through. Just like someone with a high ankle sprain with the right treatment can push through. Like Kawhi Leonard had a bum knee throughout the entire playoffs or a bum leg, I'm not sure exactly what, but he pushed through, right? So just like people with physical injuries, people with health injuries can also push through, but they need to have the, the appropriate treatment and therapy. And if it gets severe enough or debilitating enough, maybe they do need some time off, just like someone needs time off if they have a t- torn Achilles, Yeah, right? That's right? It's a spectrum of different kind of severities of, of injury and a spectrum of different severities of mental illness. So yeah. we want to we wanna just convince everyone that there's not really a stigma against medical illnesses, but there's this giant stigma against the huge. mental illnesses. It's huge. You know, and along this is the same theme of, of what makes an athlete unique. It's like athletes have an entirely different set of stressors, like additional set of stressors mm-hmm. than not athletes, you yeah. know, folks like you. Let's and me. let's talk about the main, the, like the normal stressors we face day to day. We're at the water cooler, nine to five. Yep. We we mentioned that the the, the business aspect, the upper management, they have a, a stigma against mental illness because their red flags go up. It could affect the bottom line, but also people's coworkers. Like if we're at work and we start talking about our own mental health issues, mm-hmm. people are going to be kind of whoa. What's he talking? This guy. Might, some people might be questioning not whether or not someone's crazy. You mentioned before there's a negative connotation when it comes to emotions. Mm-hmm. Uh, when someone expresses their emotions in the workplace, people tend to shy away a little bit. Oh yeah, it makes we're, them uncomfortable. We're both psychiatrists, and um, so we're, I think, a little bit more comfortable with sharing Definitely. our emotions. But oh, even yeah. in our workplace, I think it's still with coworkers. People are still a little bit shy when it comes to discussing like their own struggles with mental yeah. illness, right? Yeah. But if someone were to come in to work and they have a 
like a bad knee or an injury or something else, I think they'd be they're more open to talk about it. So just like there's a stigma from the upper management, there's a stigma with coworkers. So that's just another level of something you have to fight through. For sure. And um, we were actually talking about this offline, and I, I thought it was it was interesting and you know worthy of discussion. Now is like with athletes, you know, not only do you have these internal prejudices and things like that that make it difficult for you to to feel comfortable coming forward and speaking about how you feel and speaking about just anxiety and and just feeling down and just you know not feeling emotionally in, in, into it. You know, you also have all these like various cultural influences that, that come into play. Because one of the things about sports and, and athletic competition is that it's, a, it's kind of a universal industry. You know, people come from all over the world uh, or people from all over the world compete in sports and people come from all over the world to, to compete in sports in the United States. And so as a psychiatrist working with American athletes, you have to be very cognizant of that. You have to be very uh, aware of the fact that your patient, uh, your client, is someone that is, you know, has an illness, but has this illness and various cultural influences and ideas that go into how they experience the illness, their, their perspective on treating the illness. So let's uh, have an example here real quick. Let's take uh, Latin culture, Latinx culture, for example. They have this term called familismo, where essentially you put the family above oneself. It's a strong family unit. You're dedicated, committed, and loyal to your family above anything else. So with regards to anything in life, including mental illness, this is going to be helpful because you have that strong social support from not only your parents and your siblings, but also if you're older for your, from your children, your grandchildren, your grandparents, a lot of these households tend to have, everyone tends to to live together. You have multiple generations in one household. You see, also see this a lot with, with Asian cultures as well, which is in kind of in stark contrast with American culture where you turn 18, you're an adult. Okay, well, maybe we'll help you through college. Maybe you'll be on our health insurance at 26, but you best believe you be, better be out, out of the household by that time. Um, and you get a bad rap if you're still living at home after college. Uh, it's like cut the cord. What are you doing? But in, in these in these Latinx households or Asian households, this can be very um, helpful for individuals who are struggling with mental illness because social support, I don't have to explain why, is a protective factor for not only physical health, mental health, but uh, overall well-being. But then you have to understand that there's certain mental illnesses like severe mental illness like schizophrenia or bipolar where the, the family wants to kind of hold on and do so much but there's only really so much you can do when someone is manic or, or psychotic and they're running around the house scratching their eyeballs out because they think the, the FBI has placed a chip inside their brain. So that's when you have to seek help from a mental health expert like a psychiatrist. And it's really difficult sometimes for these families because they've always relied on the family as a source of help. And if they're almost skeptical or paranoid in a way of seeking help from outsiders because you're not part of the family and let alone seeking help from a psychiatrist who's going to throw all these med this medical jargon terms and this terminology that's in a totally different language. There may be a language barrier as well, um, but there's definitely a cultural barrier. And sometimes some of the, the treatments and the diagnosis and the conceptualization of what's going on is in stark contrast to 
maybe some religious beliefs as well. So these are all things you have to take into consideration as a mental health provider, as a psychiatrist, when when treating an individual. You're not only taking into account the individual, but you're taking into account that individual's culture and that individual's family and their relationship with their family. I could go on and on about this. Uh, we uh, Acculturation, where you have a, a first-generation immigrant to the U.S., and and a lot of times they're caught in between two cultures. They have their their parents who are, are maintain the culture of where they came from, and then they're growing up in America and have the the choice of do I stick with my parents' culture or do I uh, assimilate to American culture? And a lot of times that could also lead to struggles. A lot of it's a, a knowledge gap. Folks just may not really know a whole lot about mental health. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, as we talked about many times in this podcast, you know. Psychiatry is a relatively fledgling field of medicine. In America and, and some of the European countries, we always have well-established um, psychiatric institutions mm-hmm. that are p- putting forth all this evidence-based medicine that treat all these uh, psychiatric illnesses. And wellness is becoming a thing now where people care about your, your overall mental well-being and your overall well-being. But then getting it back to the professional athletes, some of these athletes are coming from maybe third world countries. The NBA itself has over a, a hundred international players. You have guys like the recent MVP winner, the Greek freak. Oh yeah. Giannis Antetokounmpo. I hope Absolutely. I got that right. He's a, <laughs> a Nigerian good. descent. Yep. You got people from Australia, Canada. Um Canada, oh, yeah. Canada's hey. on the come up right now, right? Toronto Raptors. <laughs> yep, yeah. First NBA championship. You got Jamal Murray, RJ Bear, Andrew Wiggins, those guys. Um soccer's a hugely that's the most popular sport in the world. Tennis, um, just about any golf, con- continent, people are playing. Obviously, hockey, ba- yeah. boxing. Yeah, you know, base MLB. Twenty nine percent of the uh, players in the MLB are born outside the U.S. Mm-hmm. A lot of guys from the Dominican. Sports are worldwide, mm-hmm. and that's the great thing about sports. But kind of tying it back to us and the mental health that's experts, you have to kind of be aware of what you have to have cultural competency. You have to know, have, educate yourself a little bit. Of, on the background of these athletes, these mm-hmm. players, these right. individuals, because Absolutely. when you're treating someone for a mental illness or you're trying to optimize someone's overall wellness, just like a medical doctor needs to know someone's background to know, all right, you you're, you flew in from the Philippines, you, you may be more at risk for an, a certain type of infectious disease. We have to know the backgrounds as well, because then that'll give us an idea of, okay, what, what are the different kind of risk factors? Um, mm-hmm. What are the different things they may be more susceptible to? Oh, absolutely. And, and not only that, I mean, you know, think about it. If you were born and raised in another country and you're traveling you know, across the world, across the Atlantic, Pacific, whatever, and, and now all of a sudden you're in this completely new place, separated from your family, isolated in culture, right? There's, there's going to be a, a certain level of stress associated with that. A lot of people think about what Kawhi Leonard just did. He signed with the Raptors for one year, won a championship, and then bounced, right? Now he's here, he's here in L.A., and you're like, yep. wow, like, why in the world would we do, we do that? I'm welcoming him with open arms. Well, of course. But look, why, you know, it's like, why on earth? People are asking, like, why on earth would he leave you know, all that money on the table, right? And a great situation, a great team, potential to win more championships, to come back home, back to LA. And the reason really is is wellness, is mental health. That's what it comes down to. Because Kawhi was not happy in Toronto, you know. And you, I actually, I saw this 
Well, let's, um, let's, interview that was done. He could have been happy, but what I think I, well, in the future, maybe well, he's seeing what himself. I'm saying, what I'm saying is this. What I'm saying with this. All right, I'll let you is this. No, think about it, though. Yeah. Right? You went, you know, he reached the highest of highs. You, you win a championship with an organization, you know, as a team. I mean, you know, that's, that's the ultimate. But I, it wasn't enough. And to me, the only, the only way that was not enough is if, you know, the environment, the culture, the world around him was not making him feel like uh, he could be himself, that he could really... And, uh, What's yeah, up? What I want to touch you, on that because... His phone, no, I, a I, there, I, <laughs> no, there's this interesting thing I saw, and I, I don't have the exact numbers out here, but... Okay. Because he went from San Antonio, right, to Toronto, to the Clippers. He sure did. And I'm trying to find it here, but I'm not going to have the exact numbers. But he, the amount of money he could have signed with San Antonio, he could have signed like this huge max deal, right. the super max, like $220 million. Right. And so he kind of forced his way out, got traded to Toronto. There he could have signed like a $170 million contract. I'm not getting the numbers exactly right because I couldn't find it on Twitter. But... He went to the Clippers and he signed roughly a little over a hundred million. Three year deal, like a hundred and five, so six, seven. The thing I read is he gave up over a hundred million dollars. Wow. <laughs> due to these moves. Right. So money was wasn't his motivator, which is a rare thing this right. day and age with right. a lot of these athletes we see because they want to secure that bag. Hashtag secure that bag. Secure yeah. the bag. But you can't put a price on happiness. Exactly. So he so to your point giving up over $100 million and more years on the contract to come back home in, to L.A., to Los Angeles. I think he's originally from San Diego. He's got a house there not too far from here. was priceless. So yeah. the motivators, you're right, overall wellness. Yeah. Because, yeah. In, and like we've said time and time again, and everyone knows, money doesn't equal happiness. Yeah. So I think we could do a whole podcast on Kawhi, but... He, that's a he's a great case study for for someone I think that has a strong sense of self and a strong identity and knows who he is as a person. Absolutely. And I think that'll lead us into I wanted to talk about these super athletes, the top of the top, these professional athletes mm-hmm. who have been followed around their entire career since they were in high school. I'm talking the the superstars from day one. And you know who kind of the the, the poster child. Oh yeah, of this is who was who was on the Sports Illustrated at as a junior in high school, who right. as a seventeen year old that said the chosen one, the king, the one and only, yeah, LeBron James, LeBron James, LeBron right. James. <laughs> so absolutely, I, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, like Venus and Serena. You know, I mean, I distinctly remember video footage from them from when they were like. God, probably 13, 14 years old. Yeah, so, um, so let's think about that a little bit. So the, these individuals, they're 13, 14. LeBron was on the cover at 17, but you know he's he was being followed around a lot more, mm-hmm. a lot earlier than that. Absolutely. You're a teenager, maybe even before that, and you have all this attention, all this out, outside attention, all this external validation. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of well well before your, your kind of brain fully develops. I know we've talked about it ad nauseum about the the amygdala and the reward system and everything like that. So you get all this external validation. You get the cheering, you the applause. Oh, you're so great. You're 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 the chosen one. That's right. You're great at what you do. Um, got a tattoo of it on his back. Exactly. You get maybe a little bit of a free class when it comes to academics or or what have you. But it's something where you're, you you kind of just become conditioned to. You kind of get used to having this the, the people cheering and supporting you and oh, saying yeah. that you're it's great. Positive reinforcement. And then over time. 
you kind of come to rely on that. I kind of liken it to maybe like giving like a little kid at this same age cocaine. Feels good, <laughs> right? I mean, it, you, you could have you could have set up with lollipop. It's like an addiction, yeah. But, but for sure, it feels good, right? Tootsie roll, you know, something like that. No, but you like that high. You become addicted to that high. Sure. And in the athlete's yeah. uh, case, it's it's that applause, it's that cheering, it's that high fives, it's yeah. that you're awesome. That's the high. Yeah, and 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 then when they start to tie their success, right? When they start to mm-hmm. link those two things, success with the applause, the adoration, mm-hmm. yep. that can be problematic. It's almost like you get to a point psychologically where the game itself doesn't really matter. You're just wanting that the applause, that admiration, that external right. validation. That's yeah. the high you're chasing. Yeah, And it gets to a point when you progress, you get into college, maybe you continue to dominate, you continue to get that validation. You get into the pros. Now you're facing stuff. Uh, like tough competition people on your level that have gone through the same things so what happens when the tides turn a little bit what happens when the applause gets quieter yeah even worse what happens when the applause turn to booze Mm -hmm. and now you've been relying on this this is kind of what you identified yourself as this is your identity well yeah well certainly you have have measured your success Mm -hmm. by that right So now it becomes a situation where when you're not getting that adoration and the applause, can you be as successful? Exactly. So that's why we stress you have to have strong confidence in who you are as a person. You have to have a strong self-identity, a strong sense of self, because at the end of the day, the applause are going to stop. The applause are going to turn into booze. We've all, like Kevin DeGrant's a perfect example. Everyone was calling him a snake on Twitter. And everything because of the, of, the, of the move he made from OKC to Golden State, They'll, people will turn on you in an instant. Absolutely. But even so, eventually you're going to retire, and the applause are going to go away. So you have to define yourself not on that applause, the admiration. You have to define yourself on something else, something that mm-hmm. ideally something that comes from within. Right. So at the end of the day, all this admiration you get, you get put up on this pedestal, and eventually the pedestal is going to go away. What are you going to rely on then? Yeah. What we're trying to say is this just puts you at risk for different mental health issues because you have no identity. You have low self-esteem and you combine that with not only psychologically but also biologically being addicted to that high. What are you going to replace it with? Yeah, yeah. It, it, you know, especially when you don't have that, that built-in internal resilience, right? That we touched um, on at a, on a previous podcast. Yeah, Check it out. yeah. And so when you don't have the built-in internal resilience, it's that much more important to have the external support, you know, the, the supportive family, you know, friends, community. Yeah, yeah. And make no mistake, uh, there's no blame placed on these individuals, these, these super athletes. They have this supreme talent and they've attracted, they're the ones that have attracted this following and this, this social circle that's, that's lifted them up and put them on this pedestal throughout their entire lives. So they've been able to rely on that. They, they haven't had to essentially develop a sense of self. Their sense of self has is, is been attached to this, all this admiration they've been getting from day one. So they have been conditioned themselves, and it's been out of their control. And to switch gears slightly, what are your thoughts on when these athletes have have so many people in their in their crew and their posse? Like, oh, you mean like my boxing? Team, my team. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it really depends. Like, 
I've seen that go all wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, I've seen guys go bankrupt off of having, you know, all those different people because you sometimes you can't keep track of every of everything, you know, when things are all over the place and there's so many different people involved. But I've how, also seen it go really well, too. Well, how many people in that posse want a little piece of the action? How many people would still be there to support you if you weren't making millions of dollars? It's a great question. And where I've seen it go right would be like, for example, with LeBron. LeBron brought his crew along and actually made them, like they became successful in their own right. They each found their own lane. And, and I think that's a great story. So I think what happens is it's the, it's the quality of the people you have around you. Yeah. The difference. And he ha- he's like, has a select few. It's, not, it's nothing crazy, like 10, 20 people that he brings around him. He's got yeah, those, true. he's got yeah. like the, the four or five high school, high right. school buddies it's that he's close, stayed with. It's a close, tight circle. Yeah. So now he's got the clutch team, so we won't talk about that right now. Um, (laughs) The the Lakers are going to be interesting to watch this year. Let's just put it that way. For sure, man. He's getting his buddies paid. But Uh, yeah, just not having that sense of self just puts you at risk for a lot of different things because you've relied on one thing your whole life. That's no longer there. That's wavering. What do you have to rely on? Yeah. Right? So you're at risk for anxiety, you're at risk for depression, you're at risk for substance abuse, um, you're at risk for all uh, just emotional issues, kind of riding that up and down roller coaster. You're at risk for having a personality disorder, right? Borderline personality disorder, possibly. Um, Some would argue a lot of people in the entertainment industry, whether it's sports or acting or out here in L.A., there's a lot of individuals with borderline personality disorder or cluster B traits. Sure. That's why not. Why not? You know? (laughs) Another thing that that comes to mind when I think about what makes an athlete unique is is their uh, their ability to influence their platform. Athletes, for a variety of reasons, they are they're role models. You know, even even at the high school level, right? I mean, think about it. Like the the great athletes in your high school. We're, we're oftentimes among the more popular kids, you know. Can you I imagine mean, what it was like to go to high school with Zion Williams? Right. Dude Reed was Williams having his alley-oop yeah. dunks on YouTube yeah, when he was a sophomore in high Absolutely. school. Absolutely, yeah. He was like a little local celebrity and, you know, um, and then all of a sudden he's on TV. But even, yeah, but even Zion aside, like even the best basketball player in your high school team is still, even if he's like some six foot white dude in middle of Indiana. He's still a stud. Uh, yeah. It's, yeah. You know, he's getting a lot of attention and you make it to the, to the college level, especially like a D one school. I mean, man, like those guys, right. Like they, they have a lot of influence on campus and then professional athletes. I mean, I, I think once you become a pre- professional athlete, you, you can almost consider yourself to be like a celebrity in some ways, right? You, mm-hmm. You're going to have followers. You're going to have fans. Just be saying, just using the word professional yeah. before the word athlete, you yep. know, it's just, it's just, it's crazy. Yeah. And so when you have that type of ability to influence, it also comes with, you know, certain pressures and, you know, certain demands and people are looking at you to kind of be the one to set the tone, mm-hmm. you know, establish the trends. There's going to be a lot of things you, you, you can't always do, you can't get away with because there's going to be eyes on you. Well, a lot of athletes are on the front edge of fashion. Yeah. People are looking at absolutely. these NBA guys and the fashion icon and professional athlete are almost becoming one and the same. 
and to you know to whom much is given much is required and and so you know when you think about it from that standpoint um there is a degree of or can be and it's not always going to be these but there can be a certain degree of anxiety associated with a misstep oh yeah you know doing doing something that could create a lot of scrutiny, you well, know. Well, think about it, and especially in this day and age, in this political climate, yeah. you have people from both sides. You have people on one end, maybe we'll say the right, that will tell you to shut up and dribble, stick mm-hmm. to sports. Yeah. Anything you say outside of sports doesn't matter. And then, so you're getting pressure from that one end to not to say anything, and then you get pressure from the other end, maybe to, to speak up on these social issues or, or otherwise. So you're getting different... Um, pressures in, in each year from different parts of the country, from different communities, and it's tough. How do you find the right balance? Because at the end of the day, you want to be authentic and honest in who you are as a person, and you want to try to portray your your values. And you're you're on this pedestal, though. So at the same time, you don't want to exclude anyone, right? You don't sure. want to necessarily say something and have half the country tune you out and be like, "Screw you." Or maybe you do. It's it's just there's all these things to consider when you do speak out. That's right. And a lot of people think that athletes, because they're on this pedestal, they're on this privileged pedestal, um, they should speak out on social injustices, right? Yeah. And and it's it's just a, a lot of pressure there on these guys. Yeah. And I, I, I want to applaud some of the guys for taking taking into their own hands. LeBron James, Kevin Durant, they have their own shows now where they're bringing up different issues on, on, on HBO and on ESPN plus they're really putting their necks out there. Um, and it can come with some good and some bad, but there's, you're right. There's a lot of pressure there. And not to mention we're in the social media age where no longer can you separate your, your on-field self from your off-field self. Uh, And that could be troublesome because if you dig deep enough, you're, you're going to find something wrong with one of your heroes, right? And it's it just so much easier nowadays because of social media to dig up dirt on someone and, and to really know who they are. You really don't have anywhere to hide. There's some players that actually do a fairly good job of, of keeping a low profile. Kawhi Leonard, we mentioned earlier, no one really knows what the hell he's doing. But then you also have guys like Kevin Durant and LeBron James that are putting themselves out there on these TV shows, taking political stances. Um, these players are really in a pickle because society, especially nowadays, tend, will latch on to the one bad decision you made or the, the one offensive tweet you tweeted when you were 14 years old and forever label you as a bad person, a racist, a sexist, someone who's ignorant. And we've kind of lacked a little bit of, of compassion or empathy or understanding that individuals can make bad decisions but still be good people. Each and every one of us has bad qualities and good qualities within us. And and those qualities don't make us simply just bad or simply just good. We're a mixture of everything. So don't dig too deeply into the personal lives or the backgrounds of of your idols or your heroes because you're you're bound to find something negative. Just think about Michael Jordan or, or Martin Luther King Jr. or Mahatma Gandhi. These are great individuals that did great things, but if you dig deep enough, you're going to find something negative. And that doesn't make these individuals bad people. Apologies on the rant, but going back to these superstars, they're under the microscope. It's not you know, for even, even like just, you know, the, the regular, like 
worker bee, blue collar athlete out there, there's going to be a lot of pressures from their within their families mm-hmm. and within their communities that are, are much different than yeah. brothers and sisters that aren't athletes. And he may not, he or she may not have the freedom or the as much leeway as these superstar athletes to speak up about issues that he holds dear to his heart, yeah. right? Like LeBron's going to have a little bit more leeway than Eric Bledsoe, for instance, or something like that. So, yeah. Well, I mean, let's not, let's let's even take it outside the pros. Let's think about like high school, college, right? Yeah. Like, if you're a high school athlete, you probably have a, a, a you know great a great high school athlete. You probably have a family that's thinking to themselves, "Hey, you can put yourself through college, right?" So now you have to continue to perform at a high level in order to provide that that service to your family, mm-hmm. right? So that your parents don't have to 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 you know shell that money out. That's pressure. Yeah. And of course, if you make it to college and you feel like you're you have professional level insight, you know, within reach, hey, you know, that's a that's a ton of pressure. Yeah. And if nothing else, you know, you're gonna feel the pressure of trying to maintain that scholarship. Maintain that starting position. Yeah, because exactly. you know some killers are coming up behind you in the draft that are getting exactly. even. The, there's new technology out, so kids are starting playing these sports at, at younger ages with the new tech, and they're maybe the football players are coming in with without the brain damage because they've been playing on seven <laughs> on seven without the helmets. That's you right. Know, you got yeah, You're always I mean, look, you're constantly looking over your shoulder. You're at risk for injury every day you practice, every day you step on the court, every day you step on the football field. That's right. Uh, what kind of job do you have? Like, are you at risk for injury? Manual laborers, of course, and in the the military, but and also in sports, like you're at risk at getting hurt. And I don't, I don't know if you can get workers' comp in the NFL. Like, you're no, those contracts aren't guaranteed. No, no, man. no, 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 no. You, 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 you get paid to play. Yeah, right. But I wanted to jump back onto this, especially the professional athletes, even colleges. A good team wants to eliminate all distractions. So they try to fit you into this box. That's why they get so scared off by mental health issues or even or physical issues. And now they're getting scared off by people having too much of a strong opinion. I know mm-hmm. Josh Rosen coming to the NFL draft was getting a lot of flack on, on Twitter, making comments almost like he, he was too much of an in- intellect and maybe he wouldn't care as much about football. Um, recently in the draft, uh, Joey Boza's little brother, Nick Boza, big mm-hmm. de- defensive end from Ohio State, mm-hmm. actually deleted his Twitter when he found out he was going to get drafted by the uh, San Francisco 49ers because he had some pro-Trump tweets and mm-hmm. getting Probably drafted up, up there in the, <laughs> the, the Bay Area. He knew he would take a lot of heat from that, and, yeah. and that was controversial. Um, so, And then the, uh, the biggest story of them all, um, Colin Kaepernick, um, took a, took a stance against police brutality uh, against the African American community. Um, sure did. Kneeled during the national anthem and 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 lost his job because of it. And I think ultimately he lost his job because and he's pr- being prevented from returning to the NFL because he's quote unquote too much of a distraction, right. Right? right? So they try to fit you in this box. So you have these additional pressures of squashing your personality in a sense. You kind of have to toe the company line. And it's different from, obviously, we have to maintain professionalism within our fields, within our careers, but we're not on TV. We don't have millions of followers on Instagram and Twitter. We don't have paparazzi taking pictures of us and and dissecting every tweet we've had since we were 10 years old. 
It's it's ridiculous. You've seen all people getting harassed about all these tweets they had when they were younger. So they're they're in a pressure. They're in a little tiny pressured box, right? And that puts them at risk for all these different things. And we, and that's something you have to be cognizant of as a uh, mental health professional when we're working with athletes. Believe in something. Believe in something. Something. Even if it means sacrificing everything. Is that your boy? That's the ad. Yeah, that's uh, Colin. It's Colin so, Kaepernick. So you got the big corporation, Nike, who took a stand with them. Yeah. So sure here's the question, though, and this is debatable. Um, does Nike take that stand because they think it's going to be better for their bottom line, for their sales, mm. or do they actually care about the cause? You know, that's that's a great question. Or is that um, irrelevant? <laughs> well, I think they, they care about the cause if it helps their bottom line, mm-hmm. right? I think the two are kind of yeah. inherently Because I think that's, that's the reason the NFL... It's not because the NFL is necessarily inherently racist, but they care about their bottom line more than anything. And they thought that him kneeling is alienating a certain section of the population who love watching football. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's complicated, though. It is. It's very complicated. Um, I would say... Complicated to some, but simple to others. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, this is what... This is all part of this is what make again makes an athlete unique. The fact that people would even care that much. Yeah. And I imagine right? people like he's getting death threats, yeah. and love on one side and hate on the other. Like imagine yeah. having to deal with that. These these the black this isn't the world isn't black and white night or day. We're all, we're all living in the gray. You know, you know it's interesting. It's like something about attention. You know, it's something about just having It's addicting. a lot of attention on you, you know, entertainers, performers in general, athletes. I mean, it, it's just um, just because all eyes are on you, it comes with certain expectations, certain standards, um, you know, certain biases and prejudices, mm-hmm. certain expectations. Somehow, some way, Colin Kaepernick became the symbol, you know, the, the, his kneeling, he became a symbol uh, in the eyes of, of these, um, I guess, very patriotic middle America types, you know. Very um, polarizing he became, figure. He became the symbol for black athlete defiance, you know, became a very, as you said, highly polarized black versus white issue. It's amazing. So regardless of what his motives were, I mean... He he put itself out there and ended up being a great decision. Not only I probably think it was personally, a great but decision. financially, it's I, oh my god! I mean, you know that that I mean, yeah. He's, I, when he's, I in fact it was funny. I was just typing in. I was just googling him, right? Mm-hmm. I think I got into C O L I, you know, before like Colin Kaepernick. Oh, well, he's going to go down in history most, a lot more <laughs> for, most, the most famous for this Colin ever. People might forget he even made it to a Super Bowl. One right. Year. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. This, so, this is his legacy, and it's a great legacy to have. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. So Colin Kaepernick and polarizing political topics aside, year after year, you look at these major leagues, and you see these guys that come in with so much potential, so much hype. The draft day gurus are drooling all over them, and they don't often live up to that potential. Not only that... Usually, occasionally, they're out of the league within a couple of years. Look at your Greg Odens. Look at your Ryan Leafs. Look at the current trajectory of a Markel Fultz. And whether that's due to injury, 
physical illness, mental illness, substance use, it usually boils down to a lack of resilience. But these guys, first off, there's nothing more America loves than a giant bust. For some reason, we like our failures just as much, if not more, than our successes here in America. Um, So you're dealing with that, but you're also dealing with these billion-dollar leagues and these million-dollar franchises who the motto is next man up, get with it or get lost. So you have like a two-year window to produce. So one false step, and you're looking over your shoulder at the guy that was just drafted in your position. And, and, and that creates a lot of stress, not to mention father time is not on your side as a professional athlete. Yeah, and so that's another, another thing that makes yeah. you know, an athlete unique, that unlike non-athletes, man, you turn 30 and <laughs> you could very well see yourself retired. Um, you could very yeah. well be no longer capable of, of continuing your career. You're not retiring at 65. You're going to be forced into retirement earlier than you want, chances are. Yeah. Chances are you're not going to play more than five years of professional sports. That's right. Um, speaking of busts, though, what about your boy Markel Fultz? Oh, <laughs> to be determined? Man. Yeah, I guess. Actually, no, I think it has been determined. I mean, you know, you see that degree of regression. Um, He's got what? You used to be a neurologist there for a little bit. He's got what? That was a, Does he have a functional neurological injury? or uh, What know, is man. it? Some sort of impingement in the shoulders? I I really, man, that's just, uh, you could almost classify that as a chronic adjustment disorder, right? Because he didn't start having those problems until he, 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 he had the injury, right? And, you know, obviously there was a, a devastating impact from having the injury because he had to change his shot form, mm-hmm. right? And anybody that plays basketball knows that your shot form is something that has to be very fluid. Muscle memory. Yes, you're right. And and there's you know there's a certain amount of confidence that you develop in your shot. Mm-hmm. And you see he obviously f- had a you great see it at shot. the free throw line. He had a great natural stroke. You saw it in college. You know, in, in the in the in the film. Oh, he's a scorer. And uh, yeah, and he had a great stroke. And so because of this injury, he had to retrain and you know, from what I understand, adjust his shooting stroke. But more importantly, he had to regain his confidence. Exactly, right? Because, you're, yeah, you don't have the same shooting stroke that got you through your college days. Now you have to, you know, to make an adjustment, and um, that doesn't go according to plan. It could be a lot of, a lot of stress and yeah, anxiety. A, I think he still has got a shot. We'll see in the next, next couple of years or so. But uh, athletes, too, I wanted to touch on before we close this out is, like, there's so many – and a lot of successful athletes we see, like sometimes these very interesting personality types, like Kobe Bryant, we've talked about it before. He's got that quote, friends hang sometimes, you banners hang forever. <laughs> it's, it is just perfect because he was a stone cold killer and all he had that linear focus towards basketball. Now he's taking it into the Academy Awards. Like he's a dude that's going to succeed at everything regardless of what he does. I mean, he does have the past history of the indiscretion in Denver, um, so maybe that is representative of interpersonal social relationship issues. And when, as an aside, when we are diagnosing any type of mental illness, um, you look at uh, the categories of functioning, which involve occupational or employment, but also social and relationship. 
But what I'm trying to get at is you have a wide range of personalities uh, within the pool of professional athletes. Um, We'd be remiss if we didn't talk about like a lot of players, a lot of athletes, just like in the real world. Some of these guys come from traumatic backgrounds, overcome a lot of adverse issues Mm -hmm. growing up. Mm -hmm. A lot of these can be termed as motivational triggers in, mm-hmm. a, in a way, but a lot of them can yeah. can lead to their own susceptibilities to mental illness and substance use. And um, some, of, some of these guys have flat out post-traumatic stress disorder from some of the things they went through. And as, as children, it, and we talked about it on the podcast with Aaron Hernandez and concussions, like the more kind of adversity you face as a child, it's a cumulative effect and your brain changes and you have actual like hippocampal, volume losses, prefrontal cortex volume losses, you have a hyperactive amygdala, Mm -hmm. essentially Mm -hmm. just brain changes that make you more hypersensitive to threat, make you more emotional, make you have a stress response that you can't turn off. So you have a lot of individuals that come into these professional environments pre-programmed to be like this. You throw them in a team environment, high stress, throw in more physical contact, and sometimes you have a recipe recipe for disaster. And, and we, we, us as mental health professionals in the sports arena, we have to be aware of this. Um, we pretty we have to get to know each patient in their backgrounds, in their histories, and in turn, we'll be able to better help them, better treat them, mm-hmm. allow them to be better off on the on the football field and better off off the football field. That's what it's about. Well, I I, I think we could we could talk about this all day. Um, there's so many things that make athletes unique. But I think we've touched on some of the stronger points, and um, yeah, man, let's uh, let's continue the conversation. Let's end the stigma. <laughs>